Last thing before we jump into this is, is this. I just want to tell you once again, remind you once again, Gary, myself, Bennett, James, you guys make it such a joy to serve with you, to be your friends, to be your family, uh, to, we, to serve alongside of you because we, we need each other so, so desperately. And uh, it is a joy to open up the Bible and, and not only to you know, bring the Bible here to you today, but also then live it out together day by day through the week, whether you serve in Awana or whether you uh, call and need help or I call you and need help with raising a family or just to need a prayer support. Guys, uh, it is, a, it is a, the joy of our lives. Uh, hopefully you could say the same thing, belonging to this family and knowing each other. And so I just I praise God for you. Listen, what we're going to do is kind of, uh, this is our last part of this series that we started really kind of Palm Sunday. We kind of began to open up the Word and ask what, is, what this Palm Sunday thing is all about and what, who Jesus is and w- what he's about. And then on Easter Sunday, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we talked about his death and his resurrection. And, uh, and then last week we said, well, let's keep going with that. So last week, if you remember, we talked about his uh, uh, ascension. So we looked at what Jesus was doing between the time he rose again and the time he went back to heaven. And, and now we're just continuing this this week to say, well, okay, now he went back to heaven. Now what is he doing between the time that he went back to heaven and the time that our eyes will see him again? And that's the, kind of the, uh, the thrust of what we'll look at today. And then next week uh, will, of course, be Mother's Day and we'll uh, kind of change topics a little bit. But that's kind of where we are. And we look forward to the word, uh, again, just trying to encourage our hearts. Uh, So I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I'm going to read from this passage, and uh, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll jump right in, okay? Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly place, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Lord, this passage is incredible, and it actually says we can pray. Paul's saying this is my prayer for the, for the church, and, and that he can pray because Christ is doing something now. Christ is seated on your throne at your right hand. Every authority in the universe is under his feet. 
subject to his power. You are king over everything, and your son reigns with you. He's seated at your right hand. So, Lord, we can pray, and we can live, and, and we, can, we can be who you've called us to be, and we don't have to wait for heaven in order to embrace these things. And so we praise you, Lord, that because of what you have done, it has changed our life not only forever, but now. And not only now, but forever. So we look to you for help. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you, uh, I've done projects around the house, and here's one of my problems, that I have a few tools, and sometimes they get misplaced, and uh, then there's a tool that I know that I have, but I don't know where it is. My dad did this growing up. My dad has, like, 106 coping saws. Because when it came time and he needed the coping saw, he couldn't find it. Where is it? Now, his kids borrow his stuff and show up and don't tell him and take it. And so there's, that's one problem. So he needs to be reminded, like, where is the coping saw? But he also needs to be reminded that he does indeed have the coping saw, right? So those, these are the two reminders he's got to have regularly in order to do the project. And that is so true in the Christian life that we have everything we need because Christ is seated on his throne, but we often forget that we have everything we need in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm not going to forgive right now. I, I forgot. I'm forgiven in Christ Jesus. I am going to worry about my current situation and what may come tomorrow. I forgot. Christ is seated on his throne. I am going to hold a grudge to that person that has somehow wronged me recently. Oh, I forgot. God is no longer holding a grudge against you because Christ is seated on his throne. And we need to be reminded what is true right now in our situation so that we will take advantage of the resources There's this guy from many years ago named William Randolph Hearst. Probably a bunch of you know about him and who he is and what he's about, but he was a really wealthy, like, newspaper. Newspapers are these, well, never mind. But I know, none of us read newspapers anymore because you all get it online now. But uh, he was very wealthy and owned a lot of different uh, newspapers, and he, uh, he, he built this, like, castle in Los Angeles and very wealthy, and he loved artwork. So one day while he was reading some issue of like a creative arts magazine, which I think was his own magazine, um, Hearst uh, saw a color reproduction of a beautiful painting by some obscure artist, and he just made up his mind in that moment, I must have this painting. And so he hires a a guy, uh, calls his agent, and looks all over the world, and he traveled all over the U.S. to Chicago, Toronto, Washington, D.C. Well, Toronto's not in the U.S., but Washington, D.C., and then to Buenos Aires and Los Angeles, looking everywhere for this piece, couldn't find it, fired the guy. You're fired, you're going to get a new guy. So he gets a new guy, and he's looking all over the world. He's checking out things in uh, uh, Lisbon, the Prague, Oslo, Paris, London. Can't find it anywhere. You're fired. Right? So he hires a private detective. And, and he, he calls the guy in, and the guy looks for months and months, and finally the guy finds the painting, and he calls up William Randolph Hearst and says, I, I need to talk to you. I've got good news and bad news. And uh, he says, well, here's the good news. The, the painting is found, and it's in great shape. Hearst says, 
what could be the bad news? Uh, the bad news is, it's, well, let me read it exactly. What could be the bad news? The detective paused, squeezing the brim of his hat right tightly between his fingers. Well, sir, it was in your own warehouse in Santa Monica. You bought it several years ago. That's your Christian life sometimes, and mine. I got every resource I need in Christ for godliness, to live, to forgive, to not hold grudges, to have peace, to bring hope, to show love, to make it through this crazy world. And I so regularly deny the resources that I have because Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Almighty in heaven. He is seated there for you. He is seated there for me. And uh, so number one, because Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the the Father Almighty, you and I, we can be people who thank God, even though our eyes haven't seen the fullness of what he's going to do. We can thank God for true believers in our lives. And that's how this passage starts. First, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. For this reason, Paul says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I wonder what Paul would say about this, this church uh, if, if he had to say something about us, if we were characterized in some way, if our kind of like reputation reached him. I would love it. If Paul is saying, you know what characterizes those guys at the Sheboygan Evangelical Free Church? It's this, this faith in Jesus Christ. It's real and it's deep. They don't talk about a faith in Christ. They have faith in Christ. It's something that like controls them. And number two, not only do they have a faith in Christ, they show love to one another. Don't you want to be a part of that kind of reputation? Well, I hear it time and time again all around, and yet at the same time, I I don't hear it in other places, pockets in this church where there's just love and grace and beauty and other people saying, ah, I don't know. I mean, I I know it's true. I hear the stories. I see it. But for me personally, I'm not feeling it all the time. And I want to be a place where we all feel it all the time. But we're not perfect. And that, I think, is the most beautiful thing of this passage, that Paul is thanking God for the work that he's doing in believers that is not uh, complete yet. You see what's happening here? Paul is saying, I thank my God for you. And, And then he goes on in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3, and he's saying, there are some things that I need to correct in the way you think and live. All through his ministry, Paul writes to churches, and they are imperfect churches, and he leads with thanksgiving. 1 Corinthians, church in Corinth, I am so thankful. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for you guys. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you guys got some immoral problems. 1 Corinthians later, 8 and 10, uh, you guys are dragging each other into courts, and you have some real divisions in the church. You got some problems, man. Uh, you could go on and on of, of different things. You know what you're doing? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you guys are getting together and the rich people are eating real quick before the poor people can show up and the poor people are getting nothing. He didn't lead with any of that stuff. He said in 1 Corinthians 1, when all those problems were true in the church, his first words out of his mouth are, I thank my God for you. Parents, you're on the phone with your kids. Long distance. It is so easy for us to lead with the things that are wrong. 
the things that are need addressing. And by the way, maybe you're a kid getting the phone call from mom or dad, and, and they're leading with the things that are wrong. It is, this is a beautiful example to us that we should thank God for the work that he's doing in the people around us, even before the work is complete, even before the perfect maturity has come, even before the person is, is what they're one day going to become. They're not there yet. And yet Paul says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start thanking God that his work exists in you. There's a real faith and you love each other. Maybe that's all he could thank God for in this church at Ephesus. But he thanks God for what he could thank God for. Is that how you are when it comes to relationships? Not leading with what they're doing wrong? Not thinking and and setting your mind on the things that aren't right? Not uh, holding the grudge or, or taking into account what they should have done, but instead just leading with this thankful, honest, thankful heart, oh God, I thank you that you are doing a work in the people around me. We can do that because Christ is seated on his throne. His work is complete, and we can thank God that he's at work. Thank God before your eyes see the fullness of, of everything that we are one day going to see. God is at work. He's at work in his time. He's at work in his ways. He's going to bring maturity in, in his season, not mine. He's going to bring maturity because of the working of his spirit, not my words. He's going to bring maturity because of of the glory of his own name through the power of his risen son, not because uh, I'm tired of seeing immature decisions and I'm I'm going to just finally say what I need to say, right? And so whether that's a, a relationship of a kid in your life or a child that's grown up, or whether that's a relationship going on day to day here, um, we need to focus on what God is doing and his power, and we need to focus on the fact that it's his work that he is going to do. Others showed you grace in your early years. Others waited for God to do his work in you and, and, and in his timing. You know, never have I seen a group of people thank God uh, in the midst of incomplete work better than I see going on in our Caring Bridge uh, updates or regular caring bridge updates that we see in the church. You know, we have some people that are struggling with sickness and illnesses in our church. And if you want to be convicted and amazed, and you want your face turned from you to God quickly, go there and read what some of our friends are saying. Do you thank God in the midst of not knowing what your tomorrow holds? Do you thank God when the working of his power, even as Christ is seated at the right hand, is not complete yet? We could talk about you and your situation and what you're going through, but there's this thankful heart that comes through when we can open the word and say, listen, uh, my eyes haven't seen the fullness of what God's about to do. My, God, my arms haven't held the healthy child. My eyes haven't seen the answer to my prayer. But here's what I know. Christ is seated at his right hand, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he is good. He is active. He is powerful. And I'm going to start, before the work is done, I'm going to start with this. Thank God. Thank God for who he is. Thank God for what he's doing. Thank God that he is he loves us, and he has shown us his power. And so we start, number one, with this truth. We can thank God constantly for true believers, even imperfect true believers. And that's where Paul starts. Number two, 
We can pray for one another. Listen, Jesus himself is our high priest, and he's seated at the right hand of God the, God the Father Almighty. And so we, we can pray that we would know and love God more. If you look at these next couple of verses, that's what he's asking us to pray for one another. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm praying that you would know and love God more with your life. He is not saying, uh, I am praying that you would know more about God in your life. He's not saying, uh, I want you to know more information. I want you to uh, get your Bible open and write down facts about the Bible from beginning to end. Now, those facts are very helpful and they can help us love God more. But you can be a very accurate theologian and not love God. That's not what he's asking for. He's saying, I want you guys to experience who God is. I want you to know him closely. And that word know really means a close knowledge of. It means you understand who he is. Our tendency in life is to know about God more while our love for him diminishes as we walk with him longer and longer. Our tendency is to say, I've got the the information straight in my head, but I'm starting to live my life just like everybody else around me in the way that I actually walk in this world. Is that true of you? You might say, well, right now I know more about God than I've ever known. Good, if you do, it should be a, a, a knowledge about God that is love for him and a love for him that comes out in the way you live your life. And as we grow older in our faith, it's not that we we grow ho-hum about what God has done for us. We embrace it more and we go to the depths of it more and we think about it and we understand it more and we love it. Listen, what did did God say? Jesus said to us, not if you love me, you will know more information about me the longer you live life. He didn't say that. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So he said, well, there's this area of my life that I struggle in. That's a famous phrase that we use in the church. I struggle in that area. Listen, if there's an area in your life that you struggle, and there will be an area in all of our lives that we struggle throughout life, that is an opportunity for you to open up the Bible tomorrow. And ask yourself, why do I disobey God in this area? Why do I not show love for God in obeying him and not being anxious? Why do I not show love for God by disobeying him in this area of gossip? Why do I not show love for God in this area of my life by thinking that he's forgotten me when he tells me, that, he, that, that he's remembered me. Why do I do that? And so we are praying that we would, because Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, we can pray for one another that we would know him more. You know what he's doing there? He is our intercessor. He, he goes before the throne and, and makes a case for you and me. Hebrews chapter 7 says it like this, starting at verse 22. Excuse me, verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were uh, 
prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you hear that? That's what he's doing in heaven, that that he lives forever in God's presence, interceding, bringing you, bringing me, bringing our case before the throne of heaven. And he isn't doing that in some weak way that, well, Lord, God, whatever you can do, Father, whatever you can do, he can save to the uttermost. Whatever situation you find yourself in. Longer I live life, you know, I, I focus on yesterday's regrets and, and what I, that's what's defining my life right now. I focus on yesterday's regrets and all that I could have done or should have done, all that my life could have been. If only I had had a, an upbringing with, with money. If only I had had an upbringing where my parents showed me how to do A or B or C. If only I had had an upbringing where my dad stayed. If only I had had an upbringing where my dad wasn't an addict. We're in the present. We're saying, oh, well, if only my present were, were uh, identified. If only my presence, in my present I had more money or if I had more resources or if I had more friends or if I had more people around me or if I had uh, something that I lack right in this moment, then, then I would follow Christ more closely. If only my future were characterized by certainty, but I'm trying to hold on to my future and force it and, and force fit and, and, and control an outcome that I want so desperately. And all the while, our past and our present and our future, we have this resource in heaven that God has given us. It's a seated Savior. And he's saying, listen, way better than William Randolph Hearst, you have every resource you need for life. You have every resource you need for life. Don't forget where it is. Don't forget that it's there. Don't forget that he's there. And don't forget to call on it in every moment of every day of your life. Don't get complacent with your love of Jesus and think that, well, I started with a love for Jesus, but now that's growing cold. You're going to need that love to grow more and more. And so we pray for one another that we would know and love God more and more right now as we live our life. That, that love is not going to be so, simply something that is perfected in heaven. It's going to be perfected in heaven, but it should be growing day by day through your living out your life. It should be growing day by day. And so we don't focus on past defeats, today's responsibilities, tomorrow's uncertainties. We focus on a resource that is in heaven. You see that phrase there, the Father of glory? I love that phrase because it's very rare in the Bible. Uh, verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. The word glory is is this concept of God's, the reputation of God's fame. And if we could say it this way, this is what I think glory means, the reputation of God's uh, presence which dominates all of history. He is the ultimate Father of, who dominates all of history. People don't like it, but he created. People don't like it, but he sustains. People don't like it, but he has revealed his authoritative word. And so we have this amazing father of glory who dominates everything about history and dominates everything about life. And that's who who our God is. So this father of glory 
it wants us to love each other and love uh, him more and more as we live life. Number two, we pray that uh, not only that, so under number two, the second thing here, we, we pray for one another not only that we know and love God more, but also that we would live with a certain hope. Verse 18a, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. You know, I, I think, and, and here we are, that he's writing to this church in Ephesus and these guys, and it, Ephesus was like a really wealthy city, and it was a very worldly city, and they had all these uh, temples, like the Temple of Artemis, Diana, and uh, it was really like a major, like Gentile, like Roman kind of place. And so in the midst of this church, he's, he's saying to the church, guys, don't think that you just have this faith that, that kind of gets you in the door, and now the rest of your life is sort of like, well, I don't know what to do from here. It's sort of like just uncertain. No, listen, God has sovereignly called those who know him as Lord and Savior. There's a calling on your life, right? And, and by the way, if there's a passage of Scripture that emphasizes God's sovereignty, you're reading it. Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 8 and 9 are the other ones, but Roman, Ephesians 1 is a, a, like a, a pivotal fulcrum. It, it is a, a mainstay for us to understanding that we serve a sovereign Lord. And he's making that case in chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through uh, 14, and, and on into this passage here. So he's saying we, we have a sovereign God, and he, this sovereign God, this calling on your life, is not sort of fuzzy. Uh, young people sometimes struggle with a call on their life. I think, has God called me? Has he, what has he called me to? Uh, am I called to be a, uh, you know, what's going to be my profession? What's going to be, who's gonna, who am I going to marry? Where is this calling that's going to take place on my life? And we, and we struggle, and sometimes we even come to this place of almost being like paralyzed, because we aren't sure what the call of God on our life is. This passage says, here, let me just tell you something very specifically. The calling of God is to a very specific thing. It's to live in hope. This is what God wants you and I. This is what we are called to. It's not mysterious. It's not unknown. See, I'm not saying God doesn't care if you're a garbage man or a, a factory worker or, or a doctor or, a, or a, a, an engineer or a school teacher. I'm not saying God doesn't care. I'm saying those things are things we do while we are called. The bigger picture is the calling, and the calling is to a hope. And the hope is not a mysterious hope. It is a very, very specific hope that he's called you and I to. In fact, if, if we could kind of unpack that, Colossians 1.27 says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Titus chapter 2, I'm going to turn over there and read Titus chapter 2 so we can get a sense of, of this hope here. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It's not very mysterious what God's will is for you. You know, it's, it's, it's sometimes funny. Again, sometimes I'll talk to young people and they'll say, well, I, uh, I want to know what God's plan for me is regarding who I'm going to marry and what I'm going to do with my life. And I'll say, well, um, God hasn't revealed to me what his plan 
is in those areas. But God has revealed very specifically what God's plan is for your life right here. Uh, Training us to renounce ungodliness. If you're not renouncing ungodliness in your life, you're not going to have a sense of being led by God at all. Training us to renounce worldly passions. If you're not renouncing worldly passions in your life, you're not going to get a sense of what God's leading to you next. Because this is a specific, concrete thing. That he's saying, this is what I want to be true in your life. First Thessalonians, Paul would say it this way, this is the will of God for your life. Even your being made into the image of Jesus Christ. Your sanctification. That's God's will for your life. I don't know if he wants you to be a fireman. I don't know who you're going to marry. I can tell you... Very specifically and concretely, God's will for your life is to be made holy like Jesus. That's God's will for your life and mine. Well, I'm unwilling to do that. Okay, then you're unwilling to walk in the will of God. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our blessed hope. You see how specific that is? Here's what he's saying. Paul is saying, because Christ is risen from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he will definitely be returning. The blessed hope is Jesus returning. There is an end in, in mind in this story. There's an end coming, and that end coming is Jesus returning with power in the sky to bring to God's presence those who truly belong to him. That is powerful stuff. And so, we live with a certain hope. What are you living for? Every day, my life should not be characterized by, uh, by my fuzzy, not sure kinds of stuff. Now listen, uh, I settled in my heart, and I think God has, has somehow led me into, and I, some people would say even called me into the ministry. And maybe you've been called to be an engineer, or a carpenter, or a plumber, or a physical therapist. You, you're called. Okay, and what that means is how you've been put together, that's the career you've chosen. But the real calling in your life is this, the hope of God. We are lovingly uh, surrounded and, and, and um, cared for by the beauty of God in terms of hope. It's a specific hope. You ever have this conversation, if God really loved me, uh, I, I wish he would just show up and do something specific for me. And I would bring them to this passage and I would say to them, he's done something very specific for you. You who should have been, uh, because of sin, cast away from the very presence of God. Didn't, didn't God say in, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, chapter 2, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Someone had to die for sin. And so God allows his own son, sends his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for sin. He is raised the the third day. And so that is like this this one side. And I would like to say to anyone who's saying, I don't feel the love of God, I want you to look back and see that when you should have been his enemy, when you should have been cast away from his presence, when you should have been sent away from him forever, he didn't let the story end there, but instead he 
put the sin of the world on his son, and so his name, God's name would be vindicated. He allowed his own son to die in your stead. Doesn't that make you feel love for God? And he didn't stop there because he was raised again. And so on one side of every life is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the work that Christ did. And on the other side of every life is this, that we don't live some fuzzy, not sure what to do next kind of life. We live this hopeful life. We live this hopeful life where Jesus is certainly going to come again because right now he's not dead. His whereabouts are not uncertain. It's not that somebody hasn't seen him for a while. This passage and Psalm 110 and Hebrews chapter 1 all tells us that right now Christ is seated on his throne in heaven. And you and I take great delight in knowing God loves us. And so we live with that certain hope. Jesus is going to come Again, let these truths just move over your heart. If you let your mind settle into fixating on the uncertainties about your tomorrow, you're not going to have a hope. If you let your mind constantly tell you you're not sure if you're walking in the will of God. I've had people who have been married for a long time say, I'm not sure I'm married to the right person. I say, listen. I love you, man. After you've been married for one second, it's not about you being married to the right person. It's about you being the right person for your spouse. Because if you've come together and made a covenant before God, that's the right person. Right? So stop wondering. It's fuzzy. I'm not sure. What is God's will? Listen, here's God's will that you and I would be transformed by the hope we have that Christ is going to return. And stop doubting all the things that he's made very specific and very obvious to us. Pray that we would live in a certain hope. The third thing is, and we do that now, by the way. So we, we, we live in a certain hope now. That certain hope is not going to become better when you see Jesus face to face. It should be that right now we are living knowing that Christ will return. Because we've seen him come once after years of silence. And God always keeps his promises. And he is seated now at God's at God's right hand, all right? So the third thing I want us to see is that uh, we can pray for one another now uh, that we would treasure our true riches in Christ. Do you treasure what you have in Christ Jesus? You already have incredible riches. Here's what my problem is. I, I take for granted what I have in Christ, and then I value stuff that is rotting and f- falling apart. And when you treasure something that is rotting and falling apart, you're going to live a very weak life. So our future riches are the reality, but current riches exist. Why? Again, because Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The Bible is full of promises for you and for me, to his children. The true believer belongs to God. You may say, listen, so many times I feel so far, and I feel like my identity is just it's not what it should be. Can I, can I just remind you, here's a rich, a riches kind of a thing that you should set your mind on tomorrow if you struggle with that sense of aimlessness. You belong to God. He knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows your disability. He knows your label. He knows 
the intricacies of everything that he has woven together. And as we said earlier, if you really struggle with this, oh man, you know the, the riches that you should treasure tomorrow morning and this afternoon? Psalm 139, and you open that up, and you, you read about what David wrote. and he, when, when he said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, man, so many days you don't feel, I don't feel fearfully and wonderfully made. And I tell God, I know you said that, but I don't believe you. And so we set our minds in Psalm 139, and we realize that God knit us together in the secret place, uh, and and that uh, he brought us to be in every number, as Al talked about before in his Caring Bridge update, and his thankful heart is displayed to you and to God. And he said, I don't know how many days there are, but I know they're in God's book. And Dorinda would echo that and say, I don't know how many days I have, but they're all written in God's book. So, David's conclusion, search me and try me. You spend time with the Lord like that, with the Bible open? Maybe you're on your knees and you've got your, you've got your journal open next to you, and you're saying, honestly, I'm done trying to prove myself. I'm done having arguments with people. I'm done discussing this with others. The radio is off. The iPod is off. The phone is far from me, and I'm writing in in my journal, Lord, search me and try me and see if there is even one anxious thought in me and reveal it to me. Talk to me about it. Show me where it is. Because I treasure the riches that I have in Christ Jesus. I treasure them above everything else. And, and the, the beautifully uh, treasured riches are not the, the, just, just the truth that we will one day be perfect because we'll be in his presence. But it, it'll be this, that God's will is that you should be transformed moment by moment into the image of Jesus Christ as you spend time in the word as you devote yourself to the word, and as you ask God to uh, examine your heart, and as you uh, give yourself over to him, we treasure the true riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Why do we need to be reminded of this? I'll tell you why I need to be reminded of it. I forget really fast. I move away from the riches of Christ Jesus so fast in my day and move to the riches that I can supply and move to the debts that I owe. I move to the desires that I have. I move to the relationships that are not what they should be, that I can fix. I move to me. And this passage is just saying, listen, you're forgetting. Christ is alive and seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, right now for you. And so you can pray, and you can have the resources of Christ. And we can have true riches in Christ right now as we uh, give ourselves over to him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. I just want to read that before we move on to our last point. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says this. I wouldn't think it would be that hard to find, but it is. When everyone's looking at me. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so your yesterday of brokenness, your today of anxiety, your tomorrow of uncertainty and fear, you've got an advocate. You've got a friend sitting in God's presence, 
and every authority is under his feet. And you can go to him and you can pray and ask for help. Lastly, okay, to experience, uh, we can pray for one another because Christ is seated at God's right hand in heaven to experience God's limitless transforming power, all right? And so verses 19 through 23 all talk about that. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? You see the strength and the power that God has that he overcame our sin in Christ? We talked about that already. That he has raised him from the dead? That he has provided for you and I a righteous one? a perfect life that Christ lived that he can put into our account and he can take our sin and he can put it into, uh, because Christ has paid for it, uh, put it into Christ's account. The power of God who raised Christ, the power of God that calls sinners and draws them, the power of God that holds this world together, the power of God that gives triumph over sin. You and I would not triumph over any sin in our life if it weren't for the power of God which raised Jesus Christ from the dead and placed him at his right hand. You'd have no hope. But because Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God the Father, he has shown his power, and it's available to you and me. power of God has raised Christ. The power of God draws us to him. If God has set everything under Christ's rule, shouldn't you and I submit to him in everything? How will we have power? How will we tap into this power? How will we overcome sin? Well, James tells us that, doesn't he? Submit yourself to God, and Christ will, or excuse me, and Satan will flee from you. And so, right now, God wants you to experience His limitless power and His transforming work. Guys, this this is an amazing thing. We can consider this that that Jesus right now is seated seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and that gives you and I the ability to tap into His power and to ask for help. We don't serve, as the band is coming right now, we don't serve a, a Christ who is who's dead. We don't serve a Christ who's far away. We, we don't serve a Christ who is who's disinterested in our lives. We serve a Christ who is all-powerful. And, and today he wants you to love him more. He wants you to love his Father more. He wants you to experience his reality. He wants you to be transformed by the limitless power that God just put on display when God raised Jesus from the dead. He wants to transform you in every way. And so we're going we're gonna to take a moment right now and just respond to, to these truths uh, before the throne of God. So would you stand with us? I'm going to pray just before we sing this song. Lord, there's a person in here today I know that's been identified by yesterday. Like their whole life has been about the way it started. It's been about a deficit. It's been about a disappointment. It's been about an abuse. And today you want to free them in the power and the working of your seated son. Today's a day of freedom. There's a person in here who's got a, I'm sure, who's got a kid in a far-off state, and they have been trying to manipulate the kid through words and money. And Lord, you desire that they would be thankful to you for that child. 
that they would be thankful to you that because there's a seated throne, the end of the story is not written yet. There's a person in here right now whose life is so off the tracks and so many, so many disappointment, and maybe they're not on caring bridge, but they're struggling so deeply with the way things should be and how they are not currently where they want them to be. And you want them to thank you now, even before their eyes see how the story's going to turn out. And you want them to thank you now, even in the midst of brokenness and hurt, because you're at work. Lord, you are too good to let us trust our own resources in this life. And so I pray even now, as the song is sung over us, and as we sing this song, that you would minister to us as we stand in your presence and say, oh Lord, help us see and worship our seated Christ.